Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. for this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Good afternoon, I'm Nikki Dakota, and every Friday we dish up some of the finest, finest movies in radio form here on 91.3, and it is my great pleasure to welcome J. Todd Anderson, the storyboard artist to the Cohen Brothers, and I like to say, to the stars. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Welcome, J. Todd, and thanks oh, for being thank here. thank you very much. <laughs> and also... Uh, it is George Williman who is, I don't know, I want to say unsung, undersung as the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. Your work has been uh, far-reaching and broad, and yet you find time to come here and share with us your perfect films. George, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> George has seen 656 million films now, now, that, now that he's viewed this film. He's in quite 656 million films this guy has viewed. And one. As I watched another now. one. Uh, oh, you watched another uh, one? You yeah. snuck another one? Oh, I've got to yeah. go change the big board now. Oh. It is with a special Three, occasion that we are here. Let's check this out. Hands over your head. Deep low to the ground. Time to duck and cover. The bombs are coming down. Hey. Duck and cover. And the lecture central. Something special about that is Little thing uh, for voting time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Get you in the mood. Yeah. yeah. This will be right in there. <laughs> A little extra. A little fallout uh, from the voting that's going on. A little fallout. A little something extra yeah. from uh, what is our perfect film this week. And gentlemen, what have we chosen? Well, this week uh, actually is the, the youngest film on our list yes. so far. Uh, from 1999, uh, directed by the, the wonderful Brad Bird, the creator of The Incredibles, uh, The Iron Giant. And it, the culture... Uh, as we say, a culture gets the art it deserves, and it doesn't get any better than this. You know, it speaks very highly of us, which you know sometimes I wonder. You know, because this, <laughs> when I look around, I wonder, wow, this is a pretty good movie. You know, how, how did how did we end up with such a great movie? It here? really is fantastic, and I have to say that I saw it as a preview in one of my other movies that my children and I have watched, and for some reason it didn't smart me. But I'm so Pleased that you chose it and that we were able to watch it. Me, yeah, my and entire family, we really, yeah, this is really uh, this one for everybody. You know, so after we've gotten off our horror fest of gore and uh, murder, you know, pillaging and things like that, now we're going to get into the Thanksgiving spirit of great, great. And, and ingratiating movies for November of 06 and uh, just quickly before we get into the details of this amazing movie if you gentlemen would be so kind as to remind us again what it is the uh, the criteria that we use when we decide you mean what's a, perfect a perfect film, film. ha well these films and the Iron Giant today are considered perfect for several reasons first they create the world they exist in then they wholly sustain that world for Today, 86 minutes on this movie. <laughs> and regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. And never, not once, do we numerically rate one film better than another. It's, it is perfect in its scale. It's and virtually they, a right. competition against itself. That's correct. It just it sets its course and it stays its course, um, and it's there. 
all the way through, and you can bank on this movie, folks. This is a good movie. And among the rules, really, there's this this uh, sort of abiding principle of sustaining, oh, that it yeah. does sustain itself. Tell us a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I just want to say up front that I fully agree. I cannot tell you how much, not just I personally, but my children, the three of us, all of us together watching this movie, fully enjoyed and were enlightened by it. Now, if you would be so kind, George, to give us a little bit of the action of this film. Well, the story uh, takes place up in Maine um, in 1958, I believe it is. 1758. A, uh, what seems to be a meteor crashes just outside the town of Rockwell on the coast of Maine. And uh, actually, it turns out to be a 50-foot-tall robot that has come from somewhere in the universe to this small town. And uh, this small boy named Hogarth... Um, finds the robot and, and in some ways befriends it and uh, realizes that he has to uh, to hide it from the adults because everyone is so high strung now with Sputnik in the air and the Cold War going on and, and basic atomic terror that he knows they will not be able to understand and appreciate a 50-foot tall metal robot. <laughs> but uh, eventually, of course, the robot is is discovered there is a, a sort of kooky uh, government man named Kent Mensley who comes to town and uh, it becomes bent on catching and destroying the robot, bringing in the army. There's also a young artist, kind of a beatnik artist named Dean, uh, who is who Hogarth befriends and also uh, and also befriends his mother, and they are the team who are trying to save the robot from the government and Kent Mensley. There's a certain, by the way, there's a sort of a theme that runs through all this almost uh, alien, maybe even sci-fi stuff that, that, that people tend to try to kill the unknown. So that I, I definitely got that feeling about the boy's impression of the robot that they won't understand. They just won't know. And their first reaction will be to shoot and kill. Oh, so, yeah. So he goes, yeah. And the, the boy is much, I mean, he's, he's already, you see early on that he is, you know, enamored of outer space and horror movies and comics. He doesn't have any friends, though. You don't see this. This kid doesn't have many friends. He he's doesn't. all by himself, and he's, he's fatherless. And, uh, and the, you know, the supposed father figure is the government guy, who's not too dissimilar from the day the Earth stood still, the schlep and the day the yeah. Earth stood still. And, and it's interesting, the dynamic between the two films is very, very, very similar. similar. Oh, yeah. This is like day the Earth stood still again. Yeah. Only they combine the characters, you know. Right, it's like Gort and Klaatu are mixed together. The kid, as you know, the when robot. the kid, uh, when he sees that, he first he's very scared of the robot because the robot goes over there and gets into the fire, into the uh, electrical plant, and he's scared because it's very big. But it gets caught in wires, and the little kid runs away, and then he decides to go back. Now that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting piece of work there because all of a sudden this little tiny kid's going to go back and save this. You know his his, his this gigantic yeah he's gonna go back and do it robot. and that's a, a real incredible piece of uh, cinematic work and storytelling because the whole movie is kind of contingent on that moment when the kid goes back and rescues this monster in the electric you know he but he doesn't know how he's gonna do it and of course there's one of those the greatest gags in all animated movies a big on and off switch right, right. right, right. It turns just, off the entire plan just like in the Warner Brothers <laughs> Looney Tunes but by that time it doesn't matter because he's established where we're going with his picture right, man right. And all the audience wants to know is see how they just want to see it go forward so that's where where some people would put more importance on how he stops that electricity right this director um, very thoughtfully 
makes it in the point of decision. You know, the, the decision is when it happens for that kid to go back and rescue this instead thing instead of, of running run. for his life. He doesn't know right. anything about this. He has no idea. And it's a hundred times bigger than he is. But that's the beautiful part about the, the storytelling in this movie. And that's what makes this director so very, very good. Well, it, and the one thing that really makes it clinches it, I guess, is is a, you know, about a, well, a few minutes later into the film when he meets a robot again, and of course at this point he still didn't know exactly what the robot was going to do, and the robot drops the on-off switch next to him to let him to know, let him know that he, I he, saw you save me. Right. Yeah, how many times has your dog dropped the ball at your feet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> throw it again. Exactly. And that's of course what they do. Exactly. They throw that story it. one more time. You know, they keep going. So they have masterfully set this stage. <laughs> yes, they have. Huge, they established it perfectly. Really, and in just a, really a short period of time, given you know the length of the movie, just in the sh- in the short few first minutes, they let us know that and very this beautifully thing they do it with a cartoon. There's nothing breathing there. It's very much like King Kong, you know, the original King Kong, not to be yeah. confused with the anything else. Anything else. You end up pulling for this inanimate object that cinema has made come to life for you. And that's, you know, always where the magic of movies comes in. You're pulling for this kid. All of a sudden, you can relate to this kid. He's not a cartoon anymore. Right, right. And, you know, in this movie, the cinematics in it are just so darn good. They really are. And I wanted to ask you, Jay Todd, about that because it's almost like the lighting in it is as though it were a movie. It is just so masterfully done. Given they that do it in the animation. mist, right, George? You know, mm-hmm. when the, he gets lo- the train wreck, you, you don't see him because he's, they set they set the tone with this animation. And this is real honest-to-goodness animation. So I was right. going to ask you about that because well, I know that Brad Bird went on to do uh, to The Incredibles, the Incredibles yeah. which, which is... My understanding was actually CG, computer mm-hmm. generated, mm-hmm. which then gives that smoothness to motion. And I was watching this movie, Jay Todd, and it's smooth. There's no oh, well, there's, it's, here. It's, it's yep. an interesting mix. This, this film, as I was watching it again, I realized this is like the perfect marriage of traditional animation and CG animation. Because there are some parts that are definitely CG, like some of those beautiful uh, ocean waves at the beginning oh, and the storms. Oh, so nice. But there are other, like the, the characters themselves and, and some of the other uh, um, set pieces that are are just our standard animation. And some are, are an interesting combination where the computer animation has actually been designed to look like drawn animation. Like I think the robot himself maybe a, is, is a computer character, but he's designed to look like drawn animation. Well, they've this, just this really may have been the job. last movie designed for the last animated movie designed for the big screen. And yeah. this, it's worth noting no. that this was from 1999, and, yeah. and it's the the so we say newest, yeah. youngest movie in our. The in animators our film are very Pixar aware Pixar. now that most things go to DVD, and so the priority isn't so much on that big, large screen anymore. If you watch some of the movements of the robot coming up into the foreground, and uh, those are very, very designed for big screen stuff, and. I tell you what makes this thing, what makes this a pure animated movie is their 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 ability to defy gravity, which yeah. storyboard artists and animators traditionally are like cats and dogs because storyboard guys understand that we have to make this for real people and gravity is the rule. It's the law, you know. But so an animator never worries about yeah. gravity. Never does. Right. They, people fly all over the place. They don't have to worry about weight. They don't have to worry about where shadows go. You know, and they make their own shadows because there's no gravity in their world. <laughs> I'm sure they've had many moments at home where they don't think there's any gravity and then it just comes crashing back to them, you know, animators that is. But in this movie, animation becomes a bending of lenses. When you see him pick up the child, it'll go from maybe a 35 millimeter lens 
as he's lifting to a 9.9, and then it expands back out to maybe into a long lens of 150 millimeters. That's now, what makes animation. Like you couldn't do that in that real is. life, you yeah, know? Okay. But that's what gives these people the freedom well, in the animation to do what they're doing in animation. Because you will see shots in this film where the cam it acts as if, as if it was a camera, if there was an actual camera on a tripod or on a crane or something like that. Where the camera basically would be zipping in for a close up, and they would pull way up yep. out of the way for a long shot, and then come around, and it's like something oh, that, I see. as as mobile as our cameras are now, you can't do and that. And you're stuck with one lens. <laughs> yeah. So the kid's face gets fat, then it gets skinny. It's it's however the animator wants to present the image to you, the viewer, mm -hmm. and that's an amazing piece of control and. There's so few people that take animation and control it to those depths and extremes, you know. Um, and this is one of the examples where it's built and designed. Every shot is mitered to fit in there perfectly for an effect. Every shot is timed perfectly. It's built and constructed to be a movie and nothing else. Just uh, absolutely amazing uh, about the camera angles. By the way, we're speaking with uh, J. Todd Anderson, uh, storyboard artist, and then some, and also George Williman, the uh, nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. And um, this story takes on these sort of classic uh, the classic spirit of, of a sort of young innocent that recognizes it, uh, an older, it's almost a, a, I think of, a, I can't think suddenly, I'm sorry, the, the name of the movie where Lenny, I hug it and pet oh, it. Uh, uh, of Mice and Men. Of Mice and me. Men, yes. where, where you know, it has great potential for destruction, but it turns out you know, so he's actually, pretty. you know, he's, he's a good, good, you know, decent potential to well, be. Well, this robot doesn't have the burden of knowledge. Think about that. This robot does not have the burden of knowledge. Or at least not earthly Except knowledge. Except that yeah. we could point out, perhaps, without necessarily we don't, spoiling He doesn't understand violence. He doesn't understand any of that. There's no burden of knowledge for this robot. Now, the kid is acquiring knowledge, and he's understanding the burden of knowledge as they go through this movie. So uh, that's what I found very interesting is that they had to... The the uh, beatnik guy says, "Oh yeah, it's defense." And they forget all about. It. There are some right. people that are innocent enough; they don't have that burden of knowledge. Right. They've not acquired it yet, you know. Um, it's filmically perfect on ninety one point three WYSL. Now, gentlemen, I want you to tell me how, for rule number three, sustaining itself through time and cultural relevance, how do you see this movie well, as perfect? I think because they took the uh, the sort of the the atmosphere of the 50s uh, which of course are long past and are pretty indelible indelibly set in our minds Certainly. and are continued that way um, using the the Cold War and the bomb scare and you know and Sputnik and some other elements and they are things that not only were were very real to people then um, but they are real to us today too. Yeah, we had the complete irrational behavior of the government and the sure. and the uh, government guy. I mean, my favorite line in the movie is "General, the giant seems to follow whatever attacks it." And George's favorite line is, <laughs> "And all that that implies," which is a line given by mainly by by the government man Kent Mansley uh, as sort of his catch-all phrase for whatever he is. Wanting out of somebody, he'll yeah. Tell if you look, if you watch that, you know you'll see it's kind of pertinent. To, you'll see weapons of mass destruction. Is that what you guys are hunting for here? <laughs> I know that robot has weapons of mass destruction. Now, unfortunately, 
this will probably have meaning for years to come because of this irrational behavior by adults, but you know. The other thing the film has is this really wonderful heart and, and really heartfelt scene. Um, and we will have one of those now that we've, we've called out of the film that really, I think, gives an example of the, the real heart that was put in the film by the director and the crew and, the, and in the original book, so... I know you feel bad about the deer, but it's not your fault. Things die. It's part of life. It's bad to kill, but it's not bad to die. You die? Well, yes, someday. I die? I don't know. You're made of metal, but you have feelings. And you think about things, and that means you have a soul. And souls don't die. Soul? Mom says it's something inside of all good things, and that it goes on forever and ever. And uh, I just should have mentioned that <laughs> like that the uh, the scene that just precedes that is where the giant and Hogarth witness a deer being killed in the forest by a pair of hunters, and the the giant doesn't understand what has happened to this creature that's lying there, even though and and this is of course the point in the movie where he himself does not realize what his intended purpose is at that time. Which we all find out. Can we say that? Should we say that without being a spoiler? No, let's not. Okay, so the the uh, the Iron Giant has uh, come from another planet, wherein he was, by all means, not designed to be the friend right. of a small boy. But uh, I have to say one thing, without being a spoiler, that um, at the end, the 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 events that lead up to the very end of the movie, my son uh, cried almost inconsolably. Oh, Still, me! Oh, I it chokes me up every time. I can't believe it. It's a cartoon. I you can. are what you choose to be. You <laughs> choose. That's a great line it's from the movie. So you are what you choose to be. You choose. Now, what? how so many movies good. have a great line like that? You didn't hear that in Terminator 2. No, you didn't. No. <laughs> I think the, one, of the last things we should, one of the last things we should mention are some of the really great voices that were chosen to be the parts in there, especially Vin Diesel as, as the, the, the robot, as yeah. the giant himself. Uh, Jennifer Aniston is the mother. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. playing the uh, sort of sassy Dean, the hero. bohemian. Uh, uh, and also some great character actors like M. Emmett Walsh is in it. Yeah, John very, Mahoney is the very general. Very identifiable voices. Uh, very good. Um, M. Emmett Walsh. Ooh, he's been done a lot of stuff. We're talking about perfect movies. And I'll tell you, the, uh, the girl you know that Jennifer Aniston yeah. she voices for, I can tell this artist had a good time drawing that woman. Oh, I'm envious yeah. of that artist because now she's not Jessica Rabbit, but this chick is hot for a yeah. cartoon character from a mom, yeah, a waitress mom. and a waitress. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. no wonder the uh, scrap metal artist, you know, kind of found his way toward that park bench at the end, you know, with her arm. Uh-huh. I, so, you know, I'll bet that artist had a good time drawing her. That I would love to, uh, we can't spend much time on it, but um, about 
I mean, the way that it, this is drawn, there's a certain sort of standard. I have to say that it was set by Disney. Yes, like, definitely Disney standard. What is up with that? Why Why is there no sort of deviation from this? Sort of, okay, there's, there's a hot chick. Now, <laughs> the mother in this, although very well drawn and yeah. the story really holds itself, it's not, not to, to, uh, to detract from it, but... It could be any leading woman in any Disney. She is role next door. Yeah, I think there are certain accepted <laughs> standards that a lot of the animation people just kind of clove to or, or go to because yeah. that's what works. Sure. I mean, it's appealing, certainly. Mm-hmm. You can't say that it isn't. But uh, Interestingly, none another... of their ears have holes in them. They have no orifices in their ears. You know? <laughs> it's true. They don't they hear don't, much do they? in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Have actual holes in their now, ears. The not one required thing, in cartoon as, as such a wonderful movie as it is in typical Hollywood fashion, it didn't do well when it came out. What it a just shame. it came out and kind of vanished. And I think even Warner Brothers realized what a mess they or what a screw up they'd made by not really promoting it heavily like they should have. But in a nice in a nice ending, they have put it out on DVD for everyone to see. Very nice. And I think only widescreen version, which is amazing for a family movie. I was happy to get it's mine. Very, very and it wide. works. They have designed this. It uh, not one shot is wasted cinematically. Every shot is dialed in for an effect. The editing is designed from the get go. I mean, right from the very beginning when they established that they don't have any gravity and they can do whatever they want. They've already told you we're boss and we're gonna <laughs> run this movie. And when it when that amazing thing where it comes through the earth and crashes, yeah, then it sets the tone. Then then gravity, as I said before, is on their terms, not yours, which means that they're just beautiful storytellers. They can do whatever they like, and that is the perfect exploitation of the medium of animation. You know, Included on the DVD, by the way, are some sort of storyboard sketches that they manipulate to, uh, to represent right. scenes that weren't actually, in the end, included in the movie. And I tell you what, J. Todd... I never really thought about storyboarding. I'm envious of these guys. You. I'm I'm bone yeah. jealous of these guys. Yeah. These guys are because actually every time the, I watch this movie, I am so jealous of these guys because they're so yeah. The cool. the art of storyboarding comes out of animated films because it's generally agreed that Walt Disney was the, one of the first. Tell them how ones. Walt used to do it, George. Tell well, them the process. They do we used have time to for that? sure sure yeah. Disney would get his story people together and they would storyboard out the entire film and then they would come in and they would actually act it out in front of the storyboards. There's some great photographs if you look at any Disney history books of them with all the uh, storyboards up on the wall and Walt there with a big pointer and and they would go through the whole story and he would act out. And before before that, people didn't do this. So virtually this was... Not as as in such a controlled way, but definitely not for live action films. There was a few people in live actions like Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. There was a few of them, but Disney was the one that really made it just jump right, through hoops of, of fire. Created the lang the language of storyboards. Yeah, he's that, a visual that guy, man. Well, animation movies they're terribly wasted if you don't just go for the whole cinematic effect on them because yeah. that's what they're for. And uh, well, certainly this is so well done. We've been talking about the Iron Giant, uh, one of J. Todd Anderson and George Willimans perfect movies by the way if you'd like to find out more about these movies and many others that have been judged perfect that's right we got by them all the film up. guys please do stop by the website at perfectmovie.net and if you'd like to send an email to j todd tell and us George, what your perfect films yeah, are yeah let us you know, know? <laughs> do you have a do you have a notion about it it's film guys at perfectmovie.net because we're going to be doing some ingratiating uh thankful films coming up and uh, uh george do we have the next one scheduled after this one um, yes, I believe after this one we are going to do 
Babe. Babe. <gasps> How about that oh, for Thanksgiving? Man, movie, do huh? I love it. Okay, another one that I've sat with my children in yeah, because uh, repetition is the, uh, the soul of It's uh, Ray explained to him. He's learning. just bacon. You know, that's what it is. Oh, honestly. They tell the pig he's just bacon. If you haven't seen Babe, do see it. And if you have, let us know your thoughts on it. Give us an email. Speaking of thankful, Jay Todd, thank you for being here today. Adante Forshana Juva. Also, thank you, George Willeman, for stopping by. Oigavot. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.